0: Let's say a word of prayer. Father, we come thankful that you are guiding us in this moment. We pray that your spirit would speak to us in a powerful way. We pray that we would be able to reflect on the benefits of your gospel and be able to um, be a blessing to the world around us, Father. Thank you for the mercy revealed in your son, Jesus. And I pray that as we study your scriptures, as we look at your word, that we find ourselves in your story. Again, Lord, thank you for your mercy, which is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. So I had the opportunity to be a part of... uh, a community service outreach in downtown Miami, and it was called Barnabas Project Outreach. And their objective and their goal was to make sure that uh, the homeless in that community were fed, showered, and were given haircuts. Because the basic premise was if we were able to do these things for the homeless in downtown Miami, it increases the likelihood of them finding occupation. As you know, it can be very challenging for a future employer to take you serious if you are not well-groomed. And so the Thursday, I mean the Wednesday before Easter, Easter, I mean Thanksgiving Eve, I was in downtown Miami and I had an opportunity to serve with this group. And as we were serving, there was an individual and he leaned over at um, one of the ladies who was serving with me and he said, I'm looking for God. And then I looked over and his mouth was filled with blood. And as he was speaking, he started getting more agitated and he was trying to communicate to, to the lady that he was looking for God. And so I stepped in and I said, how can I help? What do what you what, what exactly are you looking for? And he said that God told him that he should be the living Eucharist, that God wants him to share his blood and his flesh with everyone else. <clears throat> and, I, and, and, and as you know, when you hear something like that, you're like, I don't even know what to do here. And. He's sharing, and he's, he, he came from up north in New York, and he said, you know, God sent him down here to Miami to really experience his presence by being the actual body of Christ. And so as he's sharing, it became very clear to me and two other volunteers that, oh, he's going to hurt himself today. He's already hurt himself by gashing um, his lip and, and knocking out one of his teeth. He's going to hurt himself further. And so we said, okay, let's pray And let's get um, let's see if you want to sit down and look at some scriptures about what God thinks about you and what God thinks about your body and what God is probably asking you to do with your body. So we read the scriptures. We prayed and he was still convinced. And so we said, okay, we got to get special help. And so we were able to get him help and we followed up. And his parents, he had he he had um, psychosis and he had um, left home in New York and his parents were looking for him. And so when he was returned home, his parents sent an email to the Barnabas um, coordinator, the Barnabas Project coordinator, and shared that, you know, he had, just, he had just gone through a really hard time. And they lost him and they didn't know where to find him. And they were scared and they had all these looking for this individual signs all over in New York. They didn't even know he made it this far because he was gone for about four weeks. So they had lost hope. They're like, maybe he's somewhere in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> you know? One of the things that was said as, 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 as um, the people who came to help him arrived and took him away, you know, me and one of the other young ladies wish we could heal him. We wish we could do something for him more than get him um, psychiatric help. But then in that email that the parents sent to the Barnabas um, outreach, in the email they shared that you guys were family for him. That you guys did such a good thing by getting him to help and bringing him back to the rest of the family. You know, a lot of times when we think about justice, we want to do the big, loud things. We want to feed a million people, which is inspiring. We want to cure situations, which is amazing. But seldomly do we think about the little things that God is asking us to do as a collective. You know, justice is participatory. Justice requires all of us to partner in the work and vision of God. Let's go to Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. When Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, Jesus arrives to Nazareth and he, knowing the moment that they were in, that they were, they were still sort of in a, in a sort of exile and they were looking for hope and they were looking to see if the Messiah, the promised one of God would show up one day, he picks this particular passage that speaks of a hyper jubilee, not just a regular jubilee that you read about in Leviticus, but a hyper jubilee where everything would be made well. You see, when Jesus picks this particular passage, he knew it would activate in their minds the vision of a perfect world, the vision of what the Jewish people call mishpat, which is justice. He knew it would activate that. You know, what we're talking about today is that gospel is Good. And it requires, if you believe this gospel message, you are required to be a blessing. You're required. And I want to define these terms because I think these terms are so important to be defined. Justice and righteousness. You know, justice and righteousness is the bedrock of what it means for us to live as the image of God. That we provide justice and righteousness in all of our relationships. So when we talk about righteousness... It's the ethical standard um, to treat others like the image of God. So we treat people the way they ought to be treated. When we talk about justice, it's restorative and it's advocating for the way the world should be. Now, we might be here thinking, well, how do we know how the world should be? We read and follow the teachings of Jesus. If we can find consensus there, then we know how the world should be. Now, if we're talking without the teachings of Jesus, flip a coin and who's the most powerful? And so wickedness is the violation of these things directly or indirectly. So when Jesus shares this in Luke chapter 4, everyone is like, oh, it's finally going to happen. Like, God's going to make everything right. And that's why they have their eyes fastened on Jesus. They're like, how? How? Whoa, why? How? This poem that Isaiah shares, that Jesus reads, is like, it's one of those things that feels aspirational, but it doesn't feel real. And then when Jesus says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, can you imagine the tingle in their ears? You see, the context here is about a future world that the Israelites were waiting for, a future world that would be a blessing to all people. The effects of the first um, exile from Eden Disrupt, disrupted everything on all levels, social, systemic, um, ecological, spiritual. Everything was disrupted by the decision made in the garden. And so God calls one man and calls him to start a new movement that would lead to Jesus, that would lead to the restoration of all the world. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. You see, in Genesis chapter 12, God selects one person, and he's like, you have now the Edenic mission to bring shalom to this world. Through your people, through your family, shalom will come. And as many of us are familiar with that, on some levels they did well. On some levels they got a C. On some levels they got an F. But they did, they did what they could. Amen. But the main thing that they were supposed to do was set it up for Christ to show up. He was always a part of the plan. He was not a later addition. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse one, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. You see, at the core of this mandate is this call to be a blessing. And as followers of Jesus, when we take on the yoke of Christ, his easy yoke, as apprentices, as disciples of Jesus, we also take on the yoke of being a blessing to the world around us. Mm-hmm. We take on that yoke. Now, I recognize the tension here. Like Christianity has been around for 2,000 plus years, and Christianity has participated in some of the challenges of this world. Facts. Facts. And yet, and still, God calls us to be a blessing. I recognize there might be some cynicism here, like, nothing's going to change. Like, are, even this church, like, are we even going to do it? Steve, you're going to do this lesson, but nothing's going to change tomorrow. Like Sebastian mentioned, tomorrow, Monday, just going to be like, we didn't even hear this message. Is anything going to change? I could feel the, the, the anxiety of the moment. It's so overwhelming. Where do I start? Like, pick a problem. Put in Google, problem with the world. <laughs> You will not run out of pages on Google. (laughs) There'll be problems you didn't even know, like an area doesn't have hand soap. You're like, wow, we take it for granted here. We got hand soap. you are like, wow, that place has no hand soap. You're like, where do you begin? And that could be exhausting even thinking about it. And so it becomes, man, I think we should just wait for Jesus. I think he can fix it. That's what the song said. Jesus is going to fix it after a while. And yet and still, the call for us is to participate to be a blessing, regardless of the smallness of that blessing. You see, at the core, we are called to be a blessing. Let's go to Genesis 18, verse 16 through 19. The vision of the people of God is supposed to offer this world an alternative of what the world can be. We recognize that whatever work we start here, it has to be completed the day of the resurrection where we all stand before the living God and he says, "Um, I'm making everything new. We recognize that and yet and still, he's calling us to participate in the present. Genesis 18 beginning in verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked walked with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, this is the important part, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Abraham's call, his family were supposed to keep the way of the Lord by doing what was right and just. And they're being compared here in this particular context to Sodom, where the visitors who have come to Sodom, these angels, are not welcome. There's no hospitality going on in Sodom. Not only that, these guys were treated poorly. They were even threatened physically with violence. And so... You have the vision here of two particular cities, one that will follow the way of God and one that will follow their own desires. And Abraham's family is supposed to be this blessing that is transferred to God's church. The church is called to do the way of the Lord, what is right and just. The church is supposed to be an alternative to the world where we look and say, man, you guys are completely different in so many critical areas. I think sometimes we lose sight of that, we lose sight of that mission. Sometimes we just want to get in where we fit in. Like where does this message fit into your busy life? We all have planners and calendars and things we need to do in the weekend. When do I find time to help someone? You know, like I need help. I need help with big things, I need help with little things. I need help with all sorts of things. And so where do I find time to put Jesus' desires into practice? You see, I think a huge part of our discipleship sometimes is we will be the followers of Jesus that He wants us to be when it's radically convenient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus, is like, you're like Jesus. You tell me when you want to do that in 2025. I got you. You, my calendar's free in 2025 right now. Jesus, you pick a date, but two only two, and then I'll do it. Like. We have to understand that if this is true, if Jesus rose from the dead, if the gospel is true, then that radically reorients how we view the world. It radically reorients how we view our schedules. Sometimes we swim, too, we swim with the stream in terms of how our culture aligns its schedules that we are not able to be the blessing that God wants us to be. The context of this particular passage in um, Genesis 18 is these angels come to Abraham, And as soon as he sees them, mind you, the chapter before he just got circumcised. As soon as he sees these guys, he's like, let's get them water. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's just serve them and give to them, help them. And then the angels are like, oh, let's reveal what we're about to do here. Flip. He goes to Sodom. These angels go to Sodom. And as soon as they come, the city wants to violate them. The city is not welcoming them. I mean, poor Lot sacrifice his daughters, because he's like, hey, man, at least don't hurt our guests, because Lot learned something from Abraham a little bit, right? You know, we got to have mercy on Lot. He, he put up his daughters. That's definitely not PC today. Um, and I don't think of PC back then either. But, this, but, but, but um, Peter said he was a righteous man. so <laughs> The bar of righteousness was kind of low, but amen. <laughs> amen. Sometimes trying your best is all you can do, right? And the, the word that is used in um, Luke 4, verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, you know, that word definitely sh- can be translated favor, but it's, it's more connected to um, how we view a warm welcome. The, the Greek word is dakome. Come on, Dakome. You know how long I was working on pronouncing that? Just so we're clear. I was like in the house, Dacome, Dacome, Dacome. And then Stephen's like, what? I'm like, dak-o-may. So, May. So it's basically to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome. Like God is saying, I am opening Eden back up. You guys are welcome back. I'm opening my presence back up. You guys are welcome back. It's like God's throwing a block party. He's like, now that Christ has come, you guys are welcome to come and party with me. You guys are welcome to be involved in this good work that I'm doing. You guys are welcome to be involved in the restoration of creation. You are invited into this life-giving covenant with Christ. And when we become his body, we invite others to that life-giving covenant with Christ. It sounds really basic, but it, it, I remember being a follower of Jesus for maybe about two, three years before it really hit me when I was reading Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and it says, You are the body of Christ. I was like, Oh, collectively, we're the body of Christ. Like, what he would do with his body, collectively, we should be doing as Christ. That hit me. I was like, Whoa. Before I thought like ushering, I don't know why I thought about ushering with 1 Corinthians 12. Like, am I going to be an usher? But it was like, <laughs> it was like a call for the people who would get baptized into Christ to participate in the life of Christ. Amen. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Paul wants to explain the, how paramount it is if we believe in the, in the resurrection, if we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, how this should drastically change our lives. Exactly. How it should drastically change our finances. How it should drastically change who we are, and what we are trying to do. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 21. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. You know... When we think about what Paul is saying here, I know for, for, for some of us, we might think, oh, is God taking Jesus' good behavior and putting it on us? So on the last day, when God sees us, he sees Jesus' good behavior, Jesus' good status, and that's what Paul is talking about. That's certainly one way of looking at it. <clears throat> and yet when you read a lot of Paul's work, he, he, he's not super heavenly focused as much as he is presently focused. Paul actually believes that Christianity should impact your day today. And he is not simply thinking tomorrow. And so that word righteousness is from the Greek Zedekai. I mean, um, yeah, Zedekiah. And it, and it means it can mean righteousness, but it can also mean justice. Theakonos is the word translated in Greek and can mean justice. And so we become the justice of God puts it in a different frame. A different way of viewing that conversation. Like God chose Jesus, substituted you in his place so that you can be the justice of God wherever you go. That you can serve people and be a blessing and participate in the good news of the kingdom. Christianity is called not to be pew sitters, but world changers. Christianity is called to participate in a powerful way and bring in the goodness that Christ started. You know, in Acts, when they talked about Jesus' ministry, they said he went around doing good. He went around doing good. I, I was able to, I don't really listen to poetry. Disclaimer first, right? <clears throat> but I was on a poetry kick, you know? I was like, oh man, I'm reading the, the prophets and they're speaking poetry. I read a book that said, oh, the prophets, the major prophets are all poetry. And I'm like, ha. And then the author said, poetry has a way of communicating the world the way it could be. It has imagination. And, you know, there's something powerful about the lyrical. And I'm like, okay. Let me look up different poets to kind of see what what prophetic poets are out there, if they're even out there. And I stumbled across a poet by the name of Michael Bourne in my YouTube search, and he did a poem about the image of God. It was one of those snap-worthy poems. And it was good. He was doing his thing. And as he's wrapping up his poem, He was talking about how good it is to treat everyone like the image of God, how it had a a bent toward um, racial reconciliation in particular on the image of God. But then he slows up and he says, this is true, but this is terrifying because if this is true, then there's other components of the image of God that I don't feel comfortable with dignifying that I need to love. So he mentioned people who took advantage of children. He's like, they're made in the image of God, and I need to love them. He mentioned people who went into villages and pillaged everyone else. He's like, they're made in the image of God, and I need to love them. He mentioned terrorists who denied people freedom. He's like, they're made in the image of God. I need to love them. And then he mentions how they are going to be held accountable by God with justice, but his job is not to bring that judgment on them. His job is to love and serve them and show them the new creation. No one snapped in the crowd. I'm pretty sure they wanted a new someone when you tell people to love the people who hurt you, when you tell the people to love and serve the people who consistently make it challenging for you, that is just a different message. And you have to understand, a lot of the first century Christians, a lot of the first century hearers heard Jesus' message, and they were scandalized by how open the gospel was. And we could still very well be scandalized. And yet, every book every book on wholeness and wellness from the secular point of view and from the spiritual point of view will tell you the most healing thing you could do is invite someone in the community. Like they are like, what is solitary confinement? It's the separation of community. They're like, that is the most torturous thing they could do besides actually physically torture you to a prisoner. You separate them from everyone. They get to speak to no one. So when you integrate them into community, it does something radical. So a lot of Jesus' healings, after he healed people, he sent them back in the community. He sent them back to be a part of the everyday life. And I think a huge challenge for a lot of us is how do we open up the circumference of our compassion? I think we all have different people groups that we're really compassionate about and we see the good in them. And there is a natural inclination to see a certain people group like... I don't know, you know. And I joke a lot about football because I don't think any of us are that passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Like I love me some football. Where are my Gators at? There go my Gators. Shout out to my Gators. You know, I'm a Miami Hurricane fan, and when I was coming up, the Gators had Urban Meyer. He was a really great coach. They were winning, and they were awesome. And there were a few Gator fans growing up in my community who would clap in my face, right? If you, if you know the Gator clap, when, it just is like... It's like anathema. It's like, who, who taught you how to clap like that, right? And... I used to dislike Florida State hardcore, but during that short window of the Gator dominance, I was like, I can't stand these guys. And I remember Tebow, you know, loving Jesus and all the other good stuff. He'd get on and pray, but then he would clap too, and I'd be like, I don't like him either. (laughs) And... In a hypothetical scenario, it could be easy for me to be like, oh, I don't like gators. Gators don't deserve the grace and mercy of God. Gators, <laughs> gators do deserve the grace and mercy of God. <laughs> but I'm just saying hypothetically. But we do that with any particular situation. We have people and, 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 and people, groups and, and, and cultures in our mind that we're like, I love them. They're awesome. And then there's other groups where we're like, I don't know about them. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about ISIS or Al-Qaeda. I don't know how I feel about them. I don't know how I feel about the LGBTQ community. I don't know how I feel about them. I don't know how I feel about, you know, those, those radical, evangelical, whatever. I don't know how I feel about them. I don't know how I feel about Republicans. I don't know how I feel about Democrats. We, we, we can carry that, and yet Christ is like, this is a radical welcome. Yeah. This is a radical welcome. You are welcome in the presence of God. Yeah. That doesn't mean we don't practice wisdom. That doesn't mean we don't practice discernment, but we do practice love first. And that could be uncomfortable. You know, the demoniac who had all those demons in him, legion, he was sent back to community. Can you imagine fellowshipping with that dude after that happened? He's dressed in his right mind. And you're like, awkward question. So what, how was that like? What was that experience like? <laughs> it was crazy. you like, it looked crazy. <laughs> you know, like can I get you some water? <laughs> I'm pretty sure for a while it was crazy. It was like, he, he gets up at night, you like, is it happening again? he like, nah, he healed me, man. <laughs> You're like, okay, because we had to chain you out there last time, man. And it probably took a while to reorient him back in the community. Yeah. These things don't happen in a snapshot. Sometimes we read the scriptures and we go to the next story, to the next page. We got to understand that there was time that passed. hmm He probably had to reconcile a lot of people. He probably needed to work all that out. He's like, listen, it was Legion. And I'm like, yeah, but Legion was using your body. The guy who lost the pigs tells the story every single day. He was like, I used to be wealthy, man. (laughs) demon took my pigs. (laughs) He's like, I told Jesus to get out of here. (laughs) After he heard Jesus rose from the dead, he felt a little bad. Like, oh, that's the guy kicked out of town. (laughs) You know, the scriptures talk about justice and our role to play in justice. Um, we want to be a community that's about serving others and orienting them into a mutual community with one another insofar as that makes sense. And I recognize there are certain challenges that make that impossible or make it very difficult. And yet, and still, that should be our goal. And sometimes our assumptions keep us from connecting with people. Our assumptions keep us from serving and giving to people. And so these particular passages right here are commands given to Israel. Now, I do want to say that these commands were given under a theocracy, where they were under the rule of God. But I still think there are things that are applicable as followers of Jesus. So let's go to Proverbs 31, verse 8 through 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. The right of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. The proverb writers call us to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. You have to kind of be so aware to recognize who can't use their voice. We assume because most of us operate within the same social class that anyone can say whatever they want. So you have to be very attuned to the needs of the people around you to know who can speak and not speak. Jeremiah 22 verse 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hands of the oppressed, the one who's been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. Do what is right. Rescue. Again, I think a lot of times we feel like that's someone else's problem. That's someone else's concern. That's not my concern. I don't know how to help. I don't know how to assist. And yet Christ's call is do something. Psalm 146 verse 7 through 9 He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves righteous, loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. You could go through the Psalms, you could go through all the Bible, and easily you quickly realize God has a humongous heart for people who are not experiencing justice and righteousness. He has a humongous heart. And it's really important as us, as followers of Jesus, that we imitate that heart. Again, I'm not calling for a lack of discernment, a lack of wisdom, but I am calling us to imitate that heart. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you are participating in this good story. So where do you start? Crazy enough, seek justice and righteousness in your home. There might be certain things in your house that's off kilter. Maybe you are the only one who does the dishes. Maybe. And the other person is under your oppressive hand. Maybe you don't ever clean out your fridge. Someone else does it. Maybe that's where you start. Then you start moving in the circumference of relationships that you do have. Start paying attention like, oh, man, this person needs help here and I want to serve and I want to give. But then the scary part is to move from familial circles to now going into the hearts of the other. People who are not necessarily your family. And that's when we invite others into helping others. It is a long process, and Christianity is not done in one hour, like one message doesn't change anything, and yet the small things we do are very important. Um, Professor Cornel West says justice is love in action. I like that quote. That's a good quote, justice is love in action. Justice is participatory. We are all called to participate in the good news of the kingdom. This does not exclude the proclamation of the gospel, seeing people saved, seeing their sins forgiven. But salvation is so much like Glenn did a couple of weeks ago. It's so, so. It's not only the soul, but it's also everything else. Mm -hmm. When I was um, in downtown Miami, one of the biggest lessons I got was from an individual. He and I ended up getting a good, solid camaraderie. He was homeless, and he was an atheist. But Barnabas had been helping him for four or five years. And so I I was like, how could you experience this constant display of um, graciousness and charity towards you and, and think that, These guys are doing it for no other reason other than the love of God. Like, how how do you describe that? He's like, this group right here, this Barnabas group, something is different about them. He's like, I can acknowledge that. that. They're a good group. He's like, you're not the only Christian groups who come here. He's like, every time someone serves us, they give us a track. A track is a list of five things to do to become a Christian. So he's like, I recognize if I do the five things to become a Christian, I'll get food, I'll get this, I'll get that. He's like, hear how how that sounds. He's like, when you're hungry and you've been isolated and you need a shower, you'll say yes to just about anything. He's like, I wish these guys didn't say that. I wish they would just keep serving me. And I said, okay, touche. I'm like, do they do that here? I I don't believe in the tracks, just to be clear. (laughs) <laughs> He's like, yeah, I haven't seen you guys do it here. And I was like, yeah, but you know, they do serve, and they want to see your soul saved. Your soul is so important, bro, and that's what's going to last for eternity. Your hunger will go away one day, but your soul. And then he said, i would never seen a hungry person be able to sit through any message. He's like, until I eat, I can't hear anything. And I was thinking about myself when I'm fasting. I'm like, ain't that the truth, man? <laughs> I'm like, I can't hear it. I want to hear it, but I can't hear it. And I told him, man, I I would hope you see that their constant giving will will be an extension of Jesus. He's like, I think so, maybe. But I just feel like there's always an ulterior motive, like I'm being recruited. And so, yeah, I'm going to play the game with these guys. I need the clothing. I need the food. I need this. And so I'll pretend to do the Jesus stuff. And I said, okay. So keep praying for that dude, Spider. Um, That's his name. He didn't want to give me his government name. He called, called him Spider. <clears throat> but Mother Teresa says small things, small things make a world of difference, and it's so true. Just small things. You see, shalom is what justice is all about. Shalom is the, the image of Eden, and the shalom that Jesus offers at the end of Revelation is a hyper version of that, where it's even more good and more great. And it's only attainable if we proclaim as followers of Jesus the life that he wants us to live. So we want to proclaim the good news, but we also want to do good. And so what can we do today? Repent. And I don't mean repent in terms of like shame on you, sinner, but change the way you start thinking about it. Look for opportunities. Pay attention. Read through the four Gospels. Most of Jesus' miracles come from him paying attention. It wasn't like God, at least I don't read in the Gospels, like, oh, here's what you're going to do today. You're going to turn water into wine. He heard his mom. Mm-hmm. His mom was like, they got no more wine. He's like, woman, what that got to do with me? And then he turned around and gave some water. He's about to go help Jairus because Jairus says, hey, my daughter's dead. And someone else in the crowd, that like, pay attention, man. That's the hardest part that we have. And our American culture has siloed us to our schedules. Our schedules are Lord, not Jesus. Yeah. Our schedule, like, ugh, it's like an oppressive master. Like, God forbid you do something off schedule. You're like, well, if it don't, if it do, the schedule's gonna be upset with me, <laughs> like, I'm gonna disappoint the world if I don't keep this schedule. Your planner yelled at you. Rah, you broke my covenant. <laughs> it can feel that way. Even I'm joking. It can feel that way. Like, it's like this thing. You write. You write what's in there, and then it owns you. Yeah. You. Like, <coughs> Make sure you go for a walk. Someone needs help. You're like, but I have a walk to go for. Oh. You like, you wrote it in there. You put that there. You are Lord. In that situation, at least over the walking. And so, again, I recognize, you know, my A-type personality that you need a schedule. How can life go on without a schedule? And my free will people, you're like, see, that's why I have no schedule. But it does need to take a little bit of intentionality, free will people. Sometimes you're so free, you hear nothing, too. You're like the wind. you're like, I'm talking about listen to people not to win (laughs) the win is nice too and so again repent, change the way you think about your schedule be able to be interrupted I've shared this before, be able to be interrupted because when you do justice you're participating in the story of God we're going to have a moment of reflection and then we're going to take communion